this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? Welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for geeky girl experience. I'm Hope Mullinax, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. In this episode, cornered underneath the mystery shack, Stan must finally reveal the secrets of his past in Mysterious Portal with the arrival of his twin brother, Ford. We're talking about Grouty Falls, A Tale of Two Stands this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. Is Ford like the fan name they came up with him? With oh no, he Ford? says in the episode he was like, oh, just does call he? Me. Yeah, he says, uh, "Call me Great Uncle Ford." Oh. Because Mabel ran up and she was like, "Uncle Stanford, that was amazing." He was like, "Oh, thanks, kid. You can just call me Ford." That's how they keep them like, because since they're both named Stan, so Stan is Stan and Stanford is Ford. So that's how. All right. All right. <laughs> Did you like this one? You finally got the secrets in the background and everything. I kind of like this one better than the last one in a lot of ways. In a show like this, I'm okay when you get an episode of exposition. A needed, needed exposition. Yeah, I was looking forward to this exposition. So, like, like it's an exposition episode, but I, I liked it. It was a nice... My, they're, they're good at just dribbling the information out, though. They don't give, they, they're just good at not giving too much away and keeping it working. They're for sure playing with that unreliable narrator as well. Yes. Because there are things that are still not being said. Yep. And I'm sure you can probably figure out and fill in some of those blanks based on previous episodes of, like, who is not in the room with this conversation. Yep. Yeah, this episode's really interesting because, you know, last week is my favorite episode, and there was just, there was a month, a month. No, no way it was longer. It was like, like, two months between last week's episode and this week's episode so like there was just so much like hype and like fandom and craziness around ford showing up because all we knew is that he was ford and we didn't know like any of the answers and stuff and i just kind of wish they had put the two out together because i do think they work really well together i don't think they i like when they're they're separate to me like and and of course i'm very biased because last week is my favorite episode like this is a really good episode, but I think it just has so many big shoes to fill because it has to, you know, very quickly lay down Ford's backstory and has to, like, fill in, like, what Stan's been lying about while also making you like Ford at the same time. Like, six minutes. I clocked it, and I looked at it. It took six minutes to establish Stan and Ford's relationship. So, yeah, I think it has some really big shoes to fill, and I do think it takes some shortcuts, but not in a bad way because they just use a lot of shorthand narrations to get stuff done. Yeah. No, it was neat. It was it was needed. I liked it. I mean, I, I I I've been waiting for some exposition. If if I did have a gripe, and it's not really this episode's fault, I feel like and don't I'm not one hundred percent sure. So don't fully quote me on this one. But I feel like Hirsch has said that if he was redoing the show, he would have brought Ford in sooner. That was probably my only like gripe here on out. Is there's just there's like six episodes before the finale, you know. And so we don't just, we don't have a lot of time from here to the end. 
And so if, if, if anything else, like my biggest gripe is I just wish this came sooner in the series. Looking at some of the early season two episodes, we could have sliced out and brought some sooner. And, and that's going to be an ongoing criticism for me. I won't, I won't have, I can't, I, yeah, I was going to say I can't really have a uh, I know. Real, real opinion on it till the end. I, I will bring this up again when we get to the episode. Uh, the episode right before, like, like two episodes before the finale, there's an episode called Roadside Attraction, and I I, I have the this very same gripe for that episode. So, well, you ready to get into it? Yep. I've noticed a lot of your gripes are based around Hope Wants More. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it hope is. Would, hope would like more, please. I, hope would like more. I mean, I I understand, like, Alex Hirsch's reasoning of making this just a two-season series, but if Hope was making this show, I know what I would have cut, na- cut out and put in if it was only giving two seasons and, like, rearranged stuff. I, I do think Ford was needed much much sooner. But that's just that's just me. Would have taken out a good chunk of the season one episodes. <laughs> you ready to get into this? I am. All right. <clears throat> a Tale of Two Stands is the 32nd episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on July 13th, 2015. It was written by Alex Hirsch, Josh Weinstein, and Matt Chapman. The director was Sunil Hall. And the storyboard artists were Alonzo Ramirez-Ramos, Dana Terrace, Sabrina Catugno, Stephen Sandoval, and Luke Weber. Some extra information for you. Stanford, or Ford, Pines, is voiced by J.K. Simmons. His other works include Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man franchise as J. Jonah Jameson, Whiplash, Zootopia, and he's the voice of Tenzin in the sequel to Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra. Philbrook Pines, who is Stan and Ford's father, is voiced by Jonathan Banks. His other works include Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, Community, and F is for Family. Cameron Pines, who is Stan and Ford's mother, is voiced by Kari Walgren, who voices a lot of the background female characters for Gravity Falls. This episode has a runtime of 30 minutes, opposed to the normal 22-minute runtime, and had no commercial breaks during its original debut airing. For reruns, the runtime of this episode is 36 minutes to include commercial breaks. Beginning with this episode, a photo of Ford with journal number one replaces the photo of the pterodactyl in the opening theme song, and this change persists for the rest of the series. The words, Blinden was here, can be seen on the wooden boards that block the cave on Glass Shard Beach when, the, when Stan and Ford are children. McGucket's house is virtually identical to Steve Jobs' house. There is a poster in McGucket's old home which shows a colorful, bitten-off strawberry similar to the Apple logo and words, ponder alternately, which is a play on the Apple slogan, think differently. The shop to the left of the Pines home in Glassshard Beach is named Hot Belgian Waffles. Stan frequently exclaims these words when he is in shock. The episode reveals that Stan and Ford have a little brother named Shermie, who is Dipper and Mabel's grandfather. In the background of Ford's room, there's an item that has the Great Diamond Authority symbol on it from Steven Universe. And finally, there's a mezuzah hung near the do- doorpost in the Pines, New Jersey home, confirming that Ford and Stan are Jewish, and suggesting that Dipper and Mabel could be. This was a popular fan theory early from early in the show. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Why would, wouldn't Shermie, wouldn't their little brother be their parents? No, no, that would be, um, it's their grandfather. Their great uncles. Oh, they're great uncles. That's why they're grunkles. They're great uncles. Oh, okay. 
and and we we see Shermie very briefly, like when the dad is throwing Stan out. There's a baby crying in the background because his mom's holding it. That's their grandfather, and that's the only like that's the only time we see Shermie. And it, it's one of those moments I was just like, all right, so they are all actually related because there was a lot of debate whether or not Stan was actually related to them, especially like when it came out that he had name changes and shit. So, all right, Chris, what was your favorite parts of the episode? Seuss's fanfic. I have that too! <laughs> I'm hoping this aligns exactly with my fanfic, Stan. If not, I will be very disappointed. I yeah. have that written down. <laughs> I love when they throw in that meta humor too, because there is definitely people who are just like, this better align with my fanfic Snyder cut, or else I'm going to be very disappointed. I'm sure they were with this very show. I'm sure he was getting letters like this. I'm sure there were people thinking that at exactly that point in the show. Glass shard water taffy. I like that. Uh, the Stana War and Dungeons and Dungeons and More Dungeons which is one of the games in McGucket's room in his college dorm room which would totally be in his college dorm room Can I tell you something? What? So the title of next week's episode is Dungeons, Dungeons and More Dungeons Really? Yes! I actually actually backed up and freeze-framed it to see what was written on the box because I'm like, that looks like a Dungeons and Dragons box, but I'll bet you it's got another name and yep, sure enough on it so it's gonna be fun excellent <laughs> anything else nope that's it so i also had uh, sis's fanfic um i just love the names of all of stan's items like the ripoff bandage it's a ripoff i i threw some of them up in my other notes too like what a racket yeah that was actually um a real like bobby renzotti item oh well they're all based on real items but he just gave them great like ripoff names the sham wow the, to- it's a the sham. total sham yeah the total <laughs> sham my i also liked uh i'm gonna need all your floppy disks and eight tracks <laughs> you know i've always liked floppy disks i actually really miss them um i had like this whole floppy disk collection and i was very sad when i had to get rid of them they were just so cool because they, you know, you could also pick, like, different ones with different colors. So I had all my floppy disks, like, color-coded and everything. Like, Well, you're talking about, you're probably talking about the little hard case plastic ones with the little metal little yeah. slider thing. They could only hold, like, like 15 p- images on them. I used to have to go to the school bookstore and for a computer class and buy real floppy disks. The big, the big, they were literally floppy. You know, they they just came in a little plastic. They're about the size of a CD in a square. You ever had a? You ever held a? Um, oh, what what do they call those instant uh, Polaroid? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a Polaroid. <laughs> wow, really? I always just thought they were the hard things. No, 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 no. They were they were bigger than the hard. They were probably they were probably uh, like fifty percent bigger than those. And they were thin. They were thin plastic. You could hold them and flop them around. They were they were floppy. Huh. Oh, those. Yes, yes. Yeah. I I have. Yeah. I had to take a. a yeah. Those were my floppy disks. Yeah. Yeah, I remember those. Um, and my other favorite part is just the fight between Stan and Ford before Ford goes into the portal. Because I mean, that's just the emotional height of the episode, and I think it's just really well done. And I have more notes about that, but like. 
I, I really just liked how it was done, and and I, I think Hirsch really brought it with with at, voice acting Stan in that scene. Just, I, I think he really, really brought his aim game on that one. J.K. Simmons, too. J.K. Simmons does a really wide range of voices on Ford, from him being young and teenager-y with, like, a yep. really high register to being, like, old and gravelly. Like, they, they both really brought it this episode. He, he, he held, but he can go more gravelly than that, though, too. He, he made him decide, he still has his gravel in it, his J. Jonah, there was a couple of little J. Jonah Jameson barks in there, but he was, he was trying to gravel himself less than, than Stan, because his character's less gravelly, technically. Well... As always, Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons is, pro- is broken into parts. Part 1 is story, themes, and character. Part 2 will be the journal entries. Part 3 will be Cypher Corner and connections to previous episodes, which there's a lot of, guys! <laughs> and then it will be Chris's Speculation Corner. I don't know if I said this at the top of the episode, guys, but uh, in case I sound a little bit weird, um, I had oral surgery a few days ago, so if I sound a little bit weird, just that's why. Um, I can't remember I said it, so I'm, I'm still healing a little bit. So if I sound odd, that's why. And thank you for being patient with me trying to read a ton of shit today. I sort of did my notes kind of by the plot, but it was more about the emotional beats than individual scenes. Okay. So let's start with them as the kids. Um, what did you think of little kid Ford and Stan? It was cool. It rem- Well, you could see the dipper in them both. And the Mabel. And the Mabel. But I was noticing, like, with the baby and the mom and stuff, boy, oh, boy, he draws a lot like... This is a lot like Peter Bagg's art style, and I have a feeling he was totally influenced by Peter Bagg's hate comics, which, besides being illustrated very similarly, start out uh, in New Jersey and end up on the West Coast. Yeah, you've actually uh, brought it up before. Yeah, it was the artwork in the and when when they were in New Jersey, that's when it all came to. And when they had the screaming baby, the screaming baby was just exactly how Peter Bag draws a baby. It's it was, and I was just like, oh man, there's definitely like some influence in this. I really like a lot like all those young scenes because, as I said, they had to establish Ford really quickly and they had to establish his relationship with stan throughout their childhood and their teen years and by the time we get to like the scene where you know ford is in the principal's office and there's like man your your son is really smart that's six minutes into the episode and so i I like how they really established how ford is a lot like dipper and stan is a lot like mabel which is also like shows why mabel and stan got along really easily because they were just so similar. Stan still loved Dipper and stuff like that, but Dipper was a lot more like his brother, which is probably why Stan was a little bit grating to him, because he probably reminded him so much of Ford, and he has this, like, 30-year, like, history with his brother. (laughs) Yeah. But I I think they also did a lot of good work with Dipper and Mabel, too, because because they're so similar to Dipper and Mabel, like, we as the audience can fill in what their Stan and Ford's relationship is is like because we just watched a season and a half of Different Mabel. Well, da- well, da- Mabel actually picks up on it herself and questions Dipper about it later on. I, I do want to talk a minute about Stan and Ford's parents, though, because... I love the I'm impressed line. Well, that's, I'm impressed. 
they almost seem too young to be his grandparents, but like you know, even so, like their parents, the the time period, that generation, there were a lot of fathers like that. I'm glad you, I'm glad you you mentioned that because like I think we can see a lot of how Stan came out because of his father. His father is that really kind of classic like toxic masculinity. You must be a tough guy, punching things kind of guy. Well, he looks like a stubborn, maybe a stubborn, maybe they're immigrant, you know, I don't know which generation, but at some point immigrant, you know, and maybe he was first generation and, you know, proud and stubborn and yeah, and, and ma- super masculine and, and the, like the moment where he goes, I'm impressed. You could tell like that was, that was the, that was the real thing that, that got Ford you know, that really lit the fire under Ford to go to that school. You know, it was impressing his father more than than actually getting into the school. You can definitely see where Philbrick, I think, yeah, Philbrick is his name, where the, the dad kind of impressed that on Stan, which Stan in turn has been really pushing that on Dipper. Like, he's been really tough on Dipper. He's been really hard on Dipper, but he's been very lax on Mabel. You can kind of see that string going from his father through Stan into Dipper. And I like the mother, too. Like, the mother is kind of, she might not be the most loving, but she, it's clear that she cares for them because she's like, but what about, about our little Stanley? He has so much personality. And it's this it's this very, you can just tell so much of the series came from his parents. The mother might have a little bit of mental health issues. I don't think also. so. There was something she did at the beginning and then something she did on the phone that I was just like. She's a pathological liar. Well, that's a mental illness. <laughs> that that I think that was one of the things. And then there was also like uh, something she said on the phone. But I was just like, I was just like, okay, yeah, he's 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 got a mom who's kind of crazy and a dad who's super distant. I started thinking, kind of like looking back on the series and stuff like that, and I kind of realized how much Ford. I don't want to say it has been in the series, but his presence has definitely been a blanket because, you know, we had the mystery of the author and stuff like that. But just little things looking back on Stan's behavior, whenever anything came up about, like, the shack or the author or anything that was his brother, like, he got really grating about it. This, I think I have this noted later on in Carpe Diem, but, like, in Carpe Diem, the kids were really excited to find Ford's room with his stuff in it and, and... Stan was just like, yeah, if you like rooms for losers or or something like that. And so Ford's kind of always been here as this kind of like ghost over Stan this entire time that he just can't escape. But he also chose not to escape. And I think that's a really interesting way of why he was able just to slide right back into all this, because he's always kind of been here this entire time. Well, yeah, and Stan probably keeps him there, too, because it you know, inspires him to try to get him back. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, he could have he could have walked away at any point, and I, I think that's where Stan is the heart of the two of them. Like, he chose, he chose his family, and he's always chosen his family. Like, Stan made one really big mistake, and it cost Forrest his future, and then they held a grudge for, like, ten years about it. But, like, everything Stan has done, and he even says it for, in the last episode, everything he's done is for family. He wants to go out and make riches to impress his family, to impress his father, just like Ford did. He gave up his entire life to try and bring Ford back. He might be a con man and a crook, but that says so much about who he is as a human. 
Well, he was kind of, I think he kind of became a con man and a crook because that's the sort of classic thing of like when a family raises you with no self-worth, you know, or with negative self-worth, you go, you might, I might as well. And he was talented. Yeah. But he thought, but everybody told him that he wasn't talented and that he was the lesser brother. So he became a con man. I think that's what I like about so much about this episode, because it shows how brilliant Stan has always been. He is a high school dropout, but not only does he open a successful business with the Mystery Shack, but he also got an interdimensional portal up and running with only one of Ford's journals, because Gideon and Dipper had the other two up until, like, what, a month ago at the end of season one? And he got the rest of it up once he got the other two books up in, like, a month? Stan Pines is a brilliant person when he actually has the means and the support to do it. And you're right, I, he, I think he has been beaten down his entire life like i this is why stan is my favorite character i just think he's so nuanced and brilliantly written and he's just such a smart character and he could have easily been ford if given the chance and the drive and the push to do it yeah i just wanted to point this out too and it doesn't really come up in this episode but people have noted over the years how artistic stan is as well he has, like, this artistic ability. Again, like, another nod to him being like Mabel. Like, he sewed a hot air balloon together and like, in an afternoon. He's constantly creating, like, really fun things in the Mystery Shack and creating merchandise and stuff like that. Yeah. And he's actually, like, a secretly, like, really creative person, but it, that probably that artistic side was probably knocked out of him by his dad. There's a long American tradition of kook shacks filled with old, old guys. There used to be one about halfway between here and where I where I used to where I grew up, and it was this old guy, and I can't remember what he did for a living. I ended up going over there twice to vi- to visit it, and ended up in there for like eight hours getting a tour from him. Bob Smith, he just would go find scraps of stuff, and he built this huge art installment in the land in his backyard that was on the throughway. And it was all just homemade, you know, stuff made out of mannequins and stuff. But he had a whole philosophy about it and, and stuff like that. And I think he was like a truck driver, you know, until he retired and did this in his retirement. So, yeah, Stan, they, they sort of put in Stan in that sort of tradition, outsider artist type thing. Well, they did answer, sort of answer one of your ongoing speculations, which was it's clear that something that weird things are drawn to gravity falls. Yep. Like it, like gravity. That falls. Oh. Well, we haven't seen any like waterfalls yet. So there is a waterfall in gravity falls. It's, it's in the opening. Yeah, uh, but song. we haven't seen it yet or, or anything. So yeah. Oh, we have, we have it in the gobble Wonker episode. They oh, book, you're right. But... You're right. So right at the beginning. Okay. never mind. So what did you think of young McGucket? Uh, I thought it was hilarious that he was Steve jobs. Of all people. And one of the one of the other Pines brothers messed him up, yep. Or else he would have been like a multimillionaire. And just how how offhanded like Ford was just like he was just doing this personal computer thing and wasting his life when he could be coming and doing brilliant things with me. <laughs> I, I love seeing young McGucket too, but I also whenever a lot of times when I watch this episode, I'll follow it up with Society of the Blind Eye and sometimes I'll follow that up with Gobblewonker, just like those three in that order. 
because it really puts together McGucket's like really tragic story. Because we actually started off like with him in his worst place, where he's just pretty much all but begging his son to come back. And then we got in Society of the Blind Eye the after effects of him going through the portal in this episode, which you actually called. You you that was one of your speculations too that like por- like McGucket saw something that drove him insane, which. I don't remember when you called it, but I do remember you talking about that. Just now that we have this episode and having all three of those together, I, I think it does a really good job to kind of piece together McGucket's, like, super tragic backstory. <laughs> all right, I want to talk about my favorite scene for a second. So the entire scene where Stan shows up at the Mystery Shack and Ford is completely paranoid, and they're finally re- reunited after ten years, and then they break down into this very realistic fight where... They're not, like, they're talking, but they're not really communicating because they both hold these, like, long, like, decade-long grudge. To Stan's point of view, he's been through all this shit, and he just sees that his brother has, like, made it big with this fancy house in the woods with this money. And, like, Ford is just, like, babbling science at his brother who, like, does not, like, doesn't get science. And they're just, and it just unravels with all their baggage. And it breaks into this fight, which is just the emotional peak of the episode. It's like, to me, after Ford goes to the portal, everything just kind of falls out of it. Like, a, a very beautiful denouement, as they call it in plot terms. But man, though, watching Stan get that burn on his shoulder every single time just hurts me in my soul. It's brutal. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's how he got his quote-unquote tattoo. It's not tattoo. a tattoo. It was It was a burn. <laughs> And so it's, it's kind of different when, when you go back and watch the short where Dipper is like, what is Stan's tattoo? Is it this secret society? Is it this? And I'm like, no, Dipper, it's just emotional trauma that his brother shoved him into an incredibly hot symbol that burned through his coat onto his shoulder, Dipper. <laughs> trauma. It makes me cry, Chris. <laughs> but what, what did you think of that fight between the brothers before Ford went through the portal? That was when this was becoming like a Lovecraft story. How so? It's hitting all the tropes of it. The the portal, seeing things that make you go crazy, dipping into stuff that you don't know, family drama, fighting in front of a portal. It's it's. I've been watching Lovecraft Country, too. So uh, the first season of Lovecraft Country. And there's very similar stuff with a portal in Lovecraft Country. Which came after this, but H.P. Lovecraft came before all of them. <laughs> so, and and H.P. Lovecraft also did not have like like a lot of the portals now are from like movies and stuff. You know, H.P. Lovecraft portal would just be sort of like more like a Bill Cipher portal, just sort of something that opens up in the sky or like more of a cloudy, foggy rip in time than than a machine with a with a frame around it and stuff. But their fight was, I mean, that was a, it's a, it's standard brother fight. <laughs> yeah. I think there are parts of this that it's so hard. Cause I, I watched this show as an adult and to me like that entire, that scene in particular, but like there are parts on this episode that just feel, I'm going to say the word adult, but I don't mean adult, like, like R rated. I mean, just like these feel like super adult problems. Yeah. And so I always wondered how, this episode, because this episode is very adult. Like, it's about the adult characters. It's not really about the kids. So I've always have wondered how this episode registered with, like, a younger viewer. 
I don't think a younger viewer would get too wrapped up in the in the like too upset about the tr- the drama of their fight or the emotions of their fight just because Ford hasn't been in it long enough to establish himself. You know, he's got his story, but like that story also leads up to the reason with the, they're fighting. So I think a kid could f- would follow it just generally. I feel like this is one of those episodes, like, if you watched it as a kid and then, like, watched it later as, like, a teenager or an adult, you, like, you would appreciate it, like, because you'd be like, oh, I get all the references and stuff. I didn't write down any notes for, like, the afterwards of, like, Stan settling in and meeting the townspeople and setting up the mystery shack, other than I love Lazy Susan's cat earrings. (laughs) I almost wrote it down, but I love her cat earrings. But I, I, like, I just, I think it's cool every time we see Gravity Falls in the past and See everybody. Yep, see the get him guy as a little kid. <laughs> and his mother is like, get out, get out. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it runs in the family. What did you think of the resolution with the government agents? It was funny. that They just got rid of them, which is, which is cool. I'm good. I'm good with that. They're like, we're done with them. They might not be totally done with them, but it's, you know, they figured out a way to do it. Yeah, and then you get to see Ford doing his... Uh, um, Stan side. Bring me Spider-Man pictures. <laughs> what you want to kiss on the lips? Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when the J. Jonah Jameson came out. I feel the same way too. Like I never had a problem with how fast they just kind of like kick out the agents because they weren't even really here. Like yeah, they've been here all season, lingering in the background, but they never really did anything. They're yeah, they're not really tied into it. Like to to the storyline. They are a plot element to set up Stan for last episode to get us to this episode. Yeah, they, they, they've outlived their usefulness. And, and and they did just a lot of plot things in there, but they did it very self-aware, and it was very the funny the way they did it. So. Cause I know a lot of people were really upset by how they just didn't really do, you know, they were just kind of got like thrown out on this episode, but I don't think so. Like They were never supposed to be like a big bad. They are a plot element. And it's okay to have plot elements in a show like this because the story of this is the family, not the, you know, government agents or anything. (sighs) All right, Chris, my final note is a question for you. What do you think about Ford? I'll get into him more in in my um, predictions. Ah, then if it's for your predictions, I will note that last season when you brought up Charles Ford, and talked to me about him and explained who he was, it made me realize that Ford had to be based on Charles Ford. The names are kind of similar, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Charles Ford was definitely not a scientific guy. Yeah. He was, he was not into the science behind it. He just liked collecting them and having them. But, like, yeah, but he did. He kept books full of all the stuff that he would get and stuff. So, yeah, it very well could be, yeah. Uh, that's, that's something I would love to ask Alice Hirsch about because... You just tell me about it. I was just like, at the time, because mm. of course I couldn't say anything, but I was just sitting here going, he's explaining Ford <laughs> from season two. Uh, <laughs> no wonder you were so interested. You were I just know, like, was, tell me more about this Charles Fort. Tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> well, that's all I have. Uh, did you have anything else? nope well just i had a note that it's funny that ford actually discovered perpetual motion yeah yeah there's a fan theory about everything around his project 
that I can't talk about right now because it involves a plot of a future episode. Okay. In that machine and what happened and how it happened and who might have actually destroyed it. <laughs> blinded, blinded. I can't say anything. Okay. But there's 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 some thoughts on that. All right. Well, we're gonna read in the journal. You ready? I'm ready. So I wanted to go back and get a couple one of the earlier entries, which was Ford's original introduction in journal number three, and then go on to this episode. Here we go. So all this is from Ford's point of view. June 18th. It's hard to believe it's been years since I began researching the strange and wondrous secrets of Gravity Falls, Oregon. In all my travels, never have I observed so many curious things. Gravity Falls is indeed a geographical oddity. But the strangest thing about this town is the question, why? Why is it that this one remote location houses more paranormal, ultra-average, and super-usual phenomena than any location on Earth? There must be a hidden law of nature, a grand unified theory of weirdness, if you will, which explains how everything in Gravity Falls is connected. My benefactors trust that I will use their grant money to discover something incredible, and I believe this theory could be it. My continuing mission. Investigate the oddities of Gravity Falls, discover the grand unified theory of weirdness, publish theories, and join the ranks of Newton, Tesla, and Einstein in the pantheon of science. Myself. As I've been cataloging these oddities, it has occurred to me I've yet to turn the microscope on the oddity with which I am most intimately familiar, myself. If I succeed in publishing my theory, I am bound to become something of a, of a public figure. So, for the sake of historical record, I should perhaps touch on a subject. Who am I? To put simply, I am strange. I was born strange. I am attracted to strange, and the strange has always been attracted to me. Where I grew up, we were encouraged to follow rules and fit the mold. I recall finding a shrunken head in the family pawn shop and bringing it to show and tell. Every other student brought a football, a football trophy, and a book about football. All of these objects were thrown at me as I gave my speech. If my brother hadn't shielded me and punched one of the other kids in the nose, I might have spent the rest of the year in the hospital. When I was growing up, nothing I ever did was right. My grades were too high and my social skills were too low. Worst of all, I was born with a birth defect, six fingers on each hand. Although my family tried to convince me that this made me special, and it did help with shadow puppets, I was mocked by classmates and shunned by girls. I would hide in the library, poring over books about supernatural and searching for other freaks who were like me. I still recall reading about the Bermuda Triangle as a child. I thought of a place where you could go and just disappear into the unknown fascinated me. Perhaps it was luck, perhaps destiny, but I have since found my very own Bermuda Triangle, Gravity Falls, the place where I fit in. It is here that I will find my grand theory and maybe find myself in the process. All right, so now we're going to the present. Here we go. Against all odds, I'm back. I never thought in a thousand years that I would hold this book again. The weight of it in my hands, the smell of its parchment whisked my memory back to the tragic events forever changed my life. Although I was not around to record it, 30 years ago I got into a fight with my brother and was knocked through my very own interdimensional portal and, and into a universe beyond imagination. The last three decades have been frightening, exciting, cruel, and strange, and as I find myself back in my old study, 
writing in my old journal, it's hard to shake that feeling that I have woken up from a bizarre 30-year dream. How is it that I'm back? It turns out that despite my warnings and possibility of global catastrophe, Stanley managed to reactivate the portal and bring me back to my home dimension. While his intentions might have been pure, he was just as clueless bringing me back as he was knocking me through the first place. He destroyed the portal in the process, risked endangering the entire fabric of reality, and even found himself the target of, the, of a federal manhunt by the U.S. government, a logical progression from his early days in the principal's office. If it weren't for Fiddleford's memory ray, I would likely be writing from some secret government, government prison by now. Fortunately, as far as the government is concerned, our encounter never happened. Trigger and power, powers will likely get deja vu the next time they hear the words Gravity Falls and probably nothing more. That is the journal for this week. <laughs> I literally stopped listening about three minutes in. <laughs> really? Yeah, you're giving you're you're giving me too much stuff for my you're 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 bleeding into my predictions now. You're you're alter you're altering my predictions with the stuff in there. Then why the fuck did I do that for like twelve minutes? <laughs> you should have just interrupted me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an audience, but there's. There's people besides me listening. Hope we know for a fact because you got patrons. Uh, you did it for them. You did it for them. I was doing I'm, it for you too. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But I don't. <laughs> but, but I. I. There, there were. There were. There were. You'll see when we get to my predictions. All right. All right. Well, you ready for the cipher corner and connections to previous episodes? I am. There's so many previous episode connections, Chris. So many. To continue from last week, premiering in The Legend of the Gobblewonker, Stan's license plate on his card reads Stanley Mobile, which is more than likely short for Stanley Mobile. This foreshadows that his real name is in fact Stanley, not Stanford. Also in Gobblewonker, Stan's boat is named the Stan War, just like the one that he and his twin brother Ford fixed when they were younger. This is the one that I've been waiting to tell you for a while now. In Time Traveler's Pig... When Mabel and Dipper are hopping through time and they run by the mystery shack in the snow, it is Ford that answers the door, not Stan. And you can tell by the glasses, because he's wearing Ford's glasses. The original storyboard showed his six-finger hand, but they changed it so his hand would not be in the shot, for fear that it would give away the author way too soon. So I'm sorry it wasn't young Stan like you've been saying this whole time. But, yeah, but we just, you know... Yeah. <laughs> it was a necessary deception that you had to do there. I know, I know. I, I, I was just like, oh, he's really into this, like, young Stan thing. <laughs> I don't, I was like, I hope I don't crush him. Yeah, they, they pretty much gave you all phases of Stan this week, yeah. so, yeah. We still got it, so. This is my favorite one, because it's so cleverly deceptive, and just an episode that is such a throwaway episode. In the episode Bottomless Pit, of all things... Stan has a brief fantasy sequence where he wins a football game. A little robot named Footbot runs up and thanks Stan for making him. In A Tale of Two Stands, the project beside Ford's high school project is called Footbot, and it's a football taped to a toaster, and that is Stan's project. It's my favorite, because <laughs> it's so shitty. <laughs> It's so deceptive when you look back, you're like, he really loved his football project. And 
sudden you're just like feelings. He's in this this fantasy where he's this great thing and he's created this robot from high school and it was from the day that his brother went away. <laughs> and he got kicked out of his house and there's so much psychology wrapped up in that fucking footbot. <laughs> Carpe Diem is, of course, has the glasses hidden in the room that belongs to Ford. But the kids are excited about finding the room, and Stan reacts and annoyed uh, reacts annoyed at their excitement because it's Ford's room. This could be attributed to him being in his brother's shadow. Also in Carpe Diem, the date circled on the calendar is the newly discovered room is July 4th, 1982. 1982 is the year that McGucket references as being the last year he can remember clearly in Society of the Blind Eye. We see in this episode what caused him to fall into madness. In Dreamscapers, during the scene where childhood Stan is learning how to box, Ford can be seen in the background on the bleachers. He has a book covering his face. Also in Dreamscapers, when making their deal, Gideon tells Bill that his, his target is Stanford Pines. And when an image of Stan flashes on Bill's body, it's Ford, not Stan. In Gideon Rises, Dipper and Mabel's parents talk on the phone with Stan. They believe that the children have been staying with Ford this entire time. In the Gravity Falls shorts, Dipper wonders about Stan Stan's tattoo. It's revealed in this episode that it's a burn from Stan's fight with Ford. In Scaryoki, Stan puts on a six-finger latex glove that he's been working on in the bunker. We also see the shapeshifter from Into the Bunker is hatched from an egg. And finally, from last week, and not what he seems... The cold opening, Stan tells the book, Can It Poindexter, after reading the warnings. Poindexter is his nickname for Ford. During the water balloon fight, Stan says it's unnatural for siblings to get along as well as Dipper and Mabel, signaling his downward turn with his own brother. And the last reference to a previous episode. When the kids are looking through Stan's office to, prove, to help prove his innocence, there are several books on Stan's bookshelf that has hints to this episode. One in big letter is called Daddy's Issues. But we also see that Stan's high school yearbook is there, and if Dipper had opened it, there was more than likely a picture of Ford in it, if he had just opened the yearbook. <laughs> and finally, for the cryptograms of this episode, when his head gets stuck through a portal and he gets pulled back in, McGucket starts saying words that are jumbled up, and it's in the Atbash cipher. Once it's decoded, it's the same words that he says in Society of the Blind Eye, which are Bill Cipher Triangle. And as for the cryptograms of this episode, the one at the end of the credits reads, Backups more university! You tried! And finally, for the flashing page cryptogram at the end, it refers to Stan and Ford's father, and it says, A stubborn, tough New Jersey native. Philbrick wasn't too creative. Having twins was not his plan, so he just shrugged and named them both Stan. Woo! All right, Chris. What's your speculation corner? I don't think Ford is exactly right. He could be Bill Cipher. He could be Bill Ciphered. Uh, that's why I didn't want to hear how he was writing in the book. He he could be a, a, a yeah. He could be an unreliable narrator, an unreliable character. <laughs> it's a little funny to me. I don't know. I don't think I don't think the same amount of time should have passed in between the two things. Something, something's weird about it, and he's not, he's maybe not himself. He might be, he might be him, but he might be like 
possessed by Bill Cipher or or for being forced to do something for Bill Cipher or something. But he's he's hiding something weird that went on over there. I mean, McGucket just ducked his head, dipped his head in there, and look at him. So yeah. So speaking of McGucket, I wanted to ask you something. After he you know was talking gibberish, he sits up. And he says the words, when gravity falls and earth becomes sky, fear the beast with just one eye. We have to assume that this is Bill Cipher, of course, because as as I was saying, like, there's someone missing in the room of this episode. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts about that kind of very, like, this prophecy of things that McGucka is about? Well, that's, that's also very... Very HP Lovecraft. That is a very, I mean, McGucket is the most Lovecraftian character in this. Somebody who's lost their mind to a taste of the the beyond, staring into the void. So yeah, that that made total sense. The Beast with One Eye. Yeah, it's it, it obviously is Bill Cipher, but it might not be. It could be like a mad, 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 mad world thing. It could be a visual. It could be a visual clue. It could be metaphorical, more more metaphorical even than Bill Cipher. So it could. It, it's it's obviously Bill Cipher, but maybe it, it might not be. It might be something that makes sense when when we see it. That you know, and they're like, look, one eye. All right, I want to play hypotheticals with you. Wildest speculation. Where do you think we're going? Just wildest speculations. I'm not gonna correct you or anything. Like, just this is the point of no return. Is is Ford is here? Um, so we have one, two, three, four, five. We have five episodes and then the three part finale. So wildest speculation. What do you think is gonna happen? Well, we gotta go into we're we're gonna go into Bill Cipher's machinate, whatever his machinations are, because as far as we know right now, just like. Ford is just sort of returned. Ford doesn't have Ford's not just back. So he's just sort of back where he was. He doesn't have like a project or anything like that. So it's probably going to be that's why I don't think he's quite normal. We're going to find out that like Bill Cipher is going to try to like merge two dimensions or something like that. There's definitely some sort of thing that that is be, you know, you got a time traveler messing around with try, with probably trying to prevent something. Blinden Blandon's he's okay, so he's not just he's not a Gravity Falls phenomena. He's a he's a Pines phenomena because he's been he's been messing around in the Pines childhood too. So it's the Pines that are more important to the time traveler. So there's a whole Pines and Bill Cipher mixed up in something that that might have like messed up the world in the future it's 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 going to be something being prevented some some machination of bill cipher being prevented the classic of which would be you know i'm going to combine the two worlds and let all my interdimensional cthulhu's through and there'll be a world full of like (laughs) man-eating ogres and stuff like that so that would be the most obvious sort of thing. But it might be something more personal because there's something about the Pines family because there's a six-finger kid from a mom who's – she's a liar, but her job is a psychic. So maybe she did have actual psychic impulses or something, and it, it could be a fa- uh, their, their family line. 
family is a big theme in this uh, show, so. Well, we're we're speeding towards the end. There's only five episodes and then the finale. I'm able to be a little more specific as we get closer. Yep, yep. This is fun. You know what's also fun? Having patrons. Talking to them, telling them that they're awesome, telling them that they're super special, and they're the best, and... There's good times and bad times to be patronized, and sometimes you thank people for being for patronizing you, and this is that time. Absolutely, and I just, I, they mean the world to me. You guys, really, like, thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, I adore you guys so much, so I do want to take a moment to thank Lynn, Kate, Patrick, Alex, and Bree, Billy, Bucho, Heather, Brian, and Jean. Guys, thank you so much for continuing to support the show. I love you guys so much. You guys mean the world to me. I am just, I'm so excited to, like, get into, like, this, like, final phase of Gravity Falls and then keep moving on to the future with something like Avatar! We're very excited about Avatar. Like, honestly, like, hearing J.K. Simmons just back us forward, like, he he's the voice of Tenzin and Korra, which is the sequel to Avatar. So every time I just hear, I'm just like, oh, J.K. Simmons, you're also Tenzin. And I just hear you just being just like, we passed this mushroom. (laughs) I know what that means. (laughs) So it just makes me really, just having J.K. Simmons in the show is making me very excited to get to Avatar, even though he is not an Avatar, he's in the sequel. So I don't know. I'm still debating whether or not we're going to do Korra directly after Avatar, if we're going to give it some space. I kind of want to just do them all at the same time. We'll see, though, because that's like six seasons worth of stuff. Yeah, we'll see how we feel then. Yeah, we might we might take a tiny Avatar break, because to me, I don't see Korra as a sequel. I see Korra as a continuation. Maybe we could find something that's just one season or something and do it in between as a palate cleanser or something, or, you know. Maybe, because I was thinking Avatar, Steven Universe, Shira. And then DuckTales, which none of those are palate cleansers. So maybe we could do, like, a couple movies in between? Sure, something, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Gene has left me a comment about his thoughts on the next Chris Make Hope Watcher cartoon. Maybe we we could do a series where we have listeners have us do an episode of just one of their favorite cartoon shows. We talked about that, too, as well, yeah. We'll ban all the shows that we're going to do in the future, of course. We'd have to, like, take those off the off the table. But, like, we'd be getting all – we'd get some interesting things. I think we'd get some, like, you know, G.I. Joe, type, you know, 80s type of stuff and 90s. We'd get all sorts of stuff. And we talked about that, too, about, like, you picking some shows from your childhood, like Scooby-Doo or something like that. Um, and I would love to do, like, a couple episodes of something like, like – like Sailor Moon, like or, or Card Capture Sakura, like these shows that I grew up with. Uh, I mean, like, like it's it would be so funny because, like, I mean, I love Scooby Doo, and Scooby Doo would be fun. It would be fun to do a a, a couple episodes of Scooby Doo. The thing about Scooby Doo is we could watch like two or three episodes. It's just, they're all the same episode. So I would pick out like one with guest stars. So we could just we would end up we would end up just having to talk about Scooby Doo in general. Because, poor Hope, this was before real, there wasn't any character motivations or, like, you, you'd you never be like, you know, that must have meant a lot to Fred and Velma in, in this episode. <laughs> There's actually been so many Scooby-Doo series and movies and stuff like that. There's, a, there's, there's just, like, 
I mean, it's an endless well of Scooby-Doo stuff. I would pick stuff. I mean, if it was stuff for me, it would be 70s. It would probably be like just a prototypical Scooby regular Scooby-Doo episode from one of the first few seasons. And then one of the, the later 70s ones where they had like guest stars come on and stuff. Hey, guys, look, it's Phyllis Diller, you know. Hey, glad to meet you guys. My bus broke down. Because there's Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, the new Scooby-Doo movies, Scooby-Doo and the Scooby-Doo Laugh Olympics, Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo, the new Scooby and Scrappy-Doo show, the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. I actually was a huge fan of a pup named Scooby-Doo. That was actually one of my favorites growing up. Then we have the films, like the live action films, the animated films, the What's New Scooby-Doo, and then like the more recent shows of just like Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. I think that's the one where they made. If I was going to pick, it would be in, in the time period when it was Casey Kasem as Shaggy and just the canned music. Boom, 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 boom. After, after the, scrap, the Scrappy-Doo era was where I started, stopped... And also by the Scrappy Doo era, I didn't also have that. The, I don't know if it was ABC or NBC, but I didn't have that network, so I I didn't get to see Scooby Doo's. I saw reruns of the original Scooby Doo's on CBS Morning, but like by the time they were doing like Scrappy Doo and Laugh Olympics, that was all my friends got to see those. But I only saw those if I was over like visiting someone's house on Saturday afternoon. Kind of what I was brainstorming was, like, what if we did, like, an episode from each of these shows? And so it'd be, like, almost like a season, because there's, like, what, like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To see, like, the evolution of Scooby-Doo? Sure. Maybe. That's something to consider, but we'll, we'll think about it. After the first couple Scooby-Doo shows, you might be thinking different. Like, the quality of cartoons in those days compared to what we have today is... I mean, sometimes the sometimes our animation is cheap, also, but it looks better because it's the the way of doing it cheap is more technologically advanced. But at the same time, like old cartoons, for the most part, were cheap, repetitive, <laughs> and had their moments. Like their characters were just this person's chirpy, this person's sarcastic. This is the girl. Yes, this is a girl. <laughs> and, the this girl. Is a, and this is a boy. There were always a girl and there was always a Fred and a, and a Daphne that were just like non-personalities, but they were always the leaders. They were always like a cheerleader and a jock type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a whole. There's stuff to talk about for in, in them, but it's gonna. it would be a whole different palette of topics. <laughs> the Real Adventures of Johnny Quest was only two seasons. That was, like, the, the 90s version, because I remember, like, Jesse Bannon was just, like, like one of my first, like, strong female characters, like, up there with, like, Princess Ali Acorn and, like, Julie Sue, but, like, seeing Jesse Pan- Bannon, it was just being, like, huh, but the CGI of that show, oh, man, <laughs> very 90s. I don't know, we'll figure it out, but what I don't need to figure out is how awesome my amazing patrons are. So, guys, thank you so much for supporting the show, and I love you, so... All right, Chris, what are your final thoughts on this episode? I liked it a lot. I was looking forward to this one, and I actually I liked it better than the last episode because I was looking for a good exposit. Just a, it was like a nice one where it sat back and told you some backstory. I liked it. Yeah, 
this episode too. This is up there as as one of my favorites. I think they do a really good job just covering a crap ton of exposition in 30 minutes. And like, yeah, yeah, there's like some shorthand things here and there, but I mean, no, um, they 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 do it. They could have done it a lot quicker than they did. Yeah. They, they they were very, they were nice and leisurely with it. And they, I think they sort of hinted at it last show with the little uh, coda at the end, where they were both just sort of sitting on the swing, swinging back and forth, just watching the tide go go in and out. And so so uh, that was sort of a little preview of what was coming up. You know, a nice little leisurely tale. Of the very end, uh, where we have that moment where Mabel's clearly thinking about everything. That makes sense, from especially from Mabel's character. She's that's the sort of thing she would think about. And Dipper's completely distracted from anything in that direction. Girls mature faster than guys, so Mabel's going like, "Hey, you know, if it can happen to them, it could happen to us." And that's part of the that's part of the puberty blues that's going on in this show too. That needs to be an 80s cartoon, Puberty Blues. There's a there's a song in the movie uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes called Puberty Blues. It makes the tomatoes explode. We have talked about that before, and I think he sang part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Puberty Blues. Puberty. It's so neat. It's so cool. Yeah, that's there's not much lyrics to it. You only hear it through loudspeakers. If you go to YouTube, you can find clips of Puberty Love. Where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That is our website where we have all our podcasts, including the one Hope and I do on Star Wars cartoons and beyond, uh, J-Guys and Jedi. Woo! Working on Resistance. We'll be recording a brand spanking new Resistance episode of that tomorrow. Woo! And uh, that you probably have already heard by now. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and uh, you can also find us on Facebook where we got the Two True Freaks podcast page and the Two True Freaks cantina and on Twitter where Gene Gene, the Twitter machine, runs our our Two True Freaks page there. Agro. But that's where they can find me. Where can they find you, Hope? As if they haven't already found you. You guys are here. You found me. You gotta go hide again. Maybe I'll go hide over at geekygirlexperience.com. This is the animation podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. Um, you can find all my reviews and think pieces and stuff over there. I also have my lovely patrons that I talked about. You can sign up to support the show at patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. You can find me on Twitter at Hope Mullinex. And as Chris said, we have another podcast called J Guys and Jedi, and you can follow the Twitter for that over at jguysandjedi.com. And if you want to help support the show in a different way, um, go to geekygirlexperience.com, go up to the Shops tab, and you can click on that, and you can see my shops, where I have all sorts of stuff from, like, DuckTales to Pokemon to Gravity Falls. I have all sorts of, like, little merchandise I sell over there, and that's a great way to help support the show as well. Well, Chris, I already told you the uh, title of next week's episode, which is Dungeons, Dungeons, and More Dungeons. Thoughts? Yep. I figured it out myself, sort of. I wonder what next week will be about. I don't know. I'm going to start reading all the bookshelves and stuff to see if I can't get it ahead of time. <laughs> there's, there's so many, like, hints that are just hidden. And that's kind of what I like about this show, too, is, like, 
Like, just going through, you know, all the connections to previous episodes, like, as early as season two, like, there was Stanley Mobile. And people quickly pointed out, they're like, his name is Stanford. Why is his car Stanley? And that's where people are like, what if there's two of them? <laughs> so that's that's kind of such, like, the fun thing. And that's what, what makes the show so rewatchable. And I like it for that. So there's still stuff I still catch on, like, my, like, what, 12th rewatch. So, all right, you guys. We'll see you next week for Dungeons, Dungeons, and more Dungeons, and Weird Al Yankovic. Excellent. I'm guessing it's going to be McGuckety episode. <laughs> All right. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.